This podcast is brought to you by Sipla Foundation and Score Foundation. Hi, my name is George Abraham and welcome to Iway Conversations. My guest today is Jim Stovall from Oklahoma, United States. He is an accomplished author and speaker, a successful entrepreneur, a champion weightlifter and a disability activist. Hi Jim, welcome. Thank you George, it's wonderful to be with you. So let us uh, begin by asking you what started you off as a writer? Well, I have to admit I never intended to be a writer and when I could read with my eyes before I lost my sight, I don't even know that I ever read a whole book cover to cover. Uh, I was an athlete, thought I was going to be a professional football player and and lost my sight and uh, through that and the success of my company Narrative Television, I was asked to do a lot of speaking and I was on a tour with two great speakers and authors, Dr. Robert Schuler and Dr. Dennis Waitley, and the two of them really encouraged me to write a book. So I wrote my first book uh, 30 years ago, entitled "You Don't Have to Be Blind to See," and it was what I learned through losing my sight and the loss of my football career, but becoming a weightlifting champion and then building my business and. I wrote about that and the book was successful enough to the publishers wanted more and more and uh, I just completed my 50th book and eight of them have been turned into movies so I I I guess you could say I kind of accidentally stumbled into being an author that's an interesting accident to be in uh, now recently I read this book called the ultimate gift which I believe went on to become a best seller and then you've written a series uh in the ultimate i don't know whether you call it the ultimate series but uh, uh i guess it is the ultimate series and uh, some of these books were made into movies so uh, tell us a little bit about the series how did you get the idea and uh, uh, maybe you could give us a brief uh, brief uh, preview into it well i i had written the first book i told you about and the the publishers kept wanting more and more books and you know i i had written all of the non-fiction that i thought i uh, was felt comfortable writing and when they wanted another book i figured uh, i better just make up a story so i invented a guy who is a billionaire and near the end of his life he realizes that uh, his money and uh his lack of attention has kind of ruined his family and he has one grandson he thinks has some potential yeah. so instead in instead of uh just leaving him uh, a billionaire he sends him on this one year odyssey to learn the gift of work and gift of money and family and friends and all of these things and then if he can accomplish these tasks he receives his inheritance which is the ultimate gift yeah so uh, uh the the book before this which is the ultimate life i believe and then the book that follows is called the ultimate uh legacy so uh did you start with the ultimate gift and then write the other two or was it uh, was it uh, in logical sequence 
I started with The Ultimate Gift, and it was so successful, and I, I liked those characters so much, I decided, well, what happens next? And so I wrote The Ultimate Life, but then I, I wondered, where did these characters come from? So I wrote The Ultimate Journey after the young man finds a diary and we go back in time. And then The Ultimate Gift was made into a movie. And then The Ultimate Life and Ultimate Journey, those two books were combined into one movie called The Ultimate Life. And then The, the Ultimate Legacy is kind of how he transitions and passes the gift on himself. And that became a book and a movie called The Ultimate Legacy. If you know of anyone with vision impairment who needs guidance on living life with blindness, please share the Iway National Toll-Free Helpline number 1-800-5320-469. The number is 1-800-5320-469. Yeah, Jim, I just wanted to check now, uh, you know, it's it's fascinating to know that you've written books and they have been made into movies, but how does this actually happen? Do the movie makers kind of read your book and kind of think it's a great idea for a film? They come to you or do you go to the movie makers and try and sell the idea to them? Well, in the beginning, on the first one, I got called by a movie studio and they said, we would like to turn your book into a movie. And uh and, but since that time, there have been other studios saying, uh, what books do you have? And so and I've actually written my last several books uh, with the thought in mind, there'll be a movie. I, we're working on one right now called Will to Win, and it's in a new series I've written. And uh, so those will also be movies, I think. Now, you uh, mentioned that you uh, work with a company called Narrative Network. And uh, you are the president of this company at the moment, I believe. Uh, what exactly does this company do? Well, I, I started the Narrative Television Network back in 1988. Yeah. And we make, movie, we make movies and television accessible for blind and visually impaired people. That's what we do. Yeah. And we add an extra soundtrack in between the dialogue to describe the, uh, the actions and settings and the visual parts of a TV show or a movie. We started that in 88. Now, uh, all major network programming in America during primetime is narrated. Uh, there's a button on the television or the remote here you hit, and you can hear this extra voice. So uh, it helps blind and visually impaired people hear what they can't see. Is this what you call audio description? Very much so, yes. We started it, and then uh, after several other companies got involved, we... Um, had a big meeting and decided to call the field audio description. And it has become a, a real basic part of movies and television, and it's growing certainly around the world. So uh, when there are current affairs and sports programs also on television, uh, does this audio description happen at that time? Um, it can. Uh, you know, a lot of news programs and sports uh uh, you know, a lot of sports programming is available on the radio. So you really don't need description on television because you can listen to the ball game on, on, on the radio. And the same thing with a lot of news programs. They're basically talking heads and a few photos. So 
you know, mostly we function on educational programming and entertainment and those sorts of things. Great. So, uh, you know, uh, I think uh, some of these OTT channels which have now come into India, things like uh, Netflix and uh, Amazon Prime have a lot of content which has audio description. So that's quite exciting for us visually impaired people in India. And uh, it's interesting to note that this started in the U.S. way back in 1988. Yeah, uh, it's wonderful. It, you know, I, I always hasten to add, you know, people say I invented this. The idea of description is as old as a blind person with a friend telling them what's going on in the world. I, I, I can imagine uh, cavemen uh, describing to their blind friend or relative the drawings on the wall. So, it, you know, I, I had a lot to do with bringing it to television in America, but description has been going on for thousands of years. Yes, I think you're very right, meaning as long as people, there were blind people in this world, I think audio description was there, but in different formats, I guess. Okay, um, you have been an avid sports person. Before you turned blind, you were into football and then uh, you took to weightlifting. So, um, and, and you've mentioned somewhere that you were an Olympic champion. So, can you tell us a little bit about how you took to weightlifting and... Uh, and, and uh, what was your career path as a weightlifter? Well, I, my ambition as a young man was to be a professional football player in American football, in the National Football League. And I really, that was all I wanted to do with my life. And every year before you go play football, you have to get a physical exam. And during one of these routine physical exams, they diagnosed me with a condition that would cause me to lose my sight. So I realized uh, I need to make a, a, a change. And about that time, I saw an exhibition of Olympic weightlifters. And I thought that's something I could do, even if I was losing my sight. I became the national champion here in America. And then I, I made it on the Olympic team. And in 1980, George, you might remember, in 1980, the Olympics were to be held in Russia. That's right. And, and they had invaded Afghanistan. And because of that, uh, we boycotted uh, the, the Olympic Games, as did a lot of other countries. Yeah. And uh, not unlike the history we have right now going on. But uh, uh, so I, I represented our country, but we did not compete in those Olympics. So I was a national champion. And that was kind of the end of my athletic career right there. Oh, you didn't, uh, you didn't uh, pursue it to participate in Los Angeles in 1984? Um, I wanted to, uh, one of the challenges with Olympic sports is they only happen every four years. And if you're an athlete at that level, it's hard to stay at the peak performance for four or five years. And, uh, so by the time 84 came along, uh, I was injured a lot and, uh, it, it just probably wasn't worth it at that point. Plus in 1984, because we had boycotted the Russians, they boycotted ours in Los Angeles. And in my sport, if you're not competing against the Russians and the Eastern Europeans, uh, you're really not competing against the best people in the world. So uh, they didn't, you know, we didn't go to theirs in 80. They didn't come to ours in 84. And by the time 88 rolled around, uh, I was uh, getting pretty ancient for an athlete. That's uh, interesting. And, uh, uh so, uh, 
do you uh, you know they always say once a sportsman always a sportsman uh, so do you keep in touch with uh, sport in some way even today or uh, uh, it was goodbye to sports in 1984 well i i am a huge sports fan uh, i have satellite radio in it is a rare day that i don't have a football game or a baseball game or something on at my house in the evening i love following sports and uh, and even with weightlifting um the great russian weightlifter vasily alexiev uh and i became friends and he passed away a few years ago but we stayed in touch all of those years it was difficult in the beginning and then when the the soviet union broke up we we were able to communicate a little more freely but um yeah i i i stay involved and i i always enjoy sports as you said once once you're involved in sports you're always kind of a sports uh, person so uh, you said that uh, you first uh, saw signs of your eye problem or your eye condition when you were about 17 and then uh, by the time you were 29 you were totally blind uh, what was the actual problem with the eye and uh, how did you deal with that transition you know from being a fully sighted person to a fully blind person what was the kind of uh, uh, support mechanisms what are the kind of challenges you had and where did the help come from great questions i was diagnosed with a juvenile form of macular degeneration it's a disease many people get late in life i got it when i was a teenager and then on top of that i have a condition called cone and rod dystrophy which took away the day and night vision and between that and the macular degeneration i lost all of my sight um i you know my wife crystal is a huge support i have a great team that works with me here in my business and i am very fortunate to you know my work environment and my home environment were designed for me so uh, you know i when i travel i have people that are with me all the time and uh, so everything here in our offices our studios and when i go on the road i have people there that help me and it's kind of designed for me i am a huge uh, utilizer of uh, of audiobooks i use a lot of that and uh, i have uh, voice access to computers and uh, that's kind of the things i do in my life uh, you also uh, uh, are what you call a platform speaker now the idea of a platform speaker is pretty new in india so you might like to tell me what this platform speaking is all about i guess it is some kind of motivational speaking but uh, and and uh, and i i believe you do extensive speaking so what do you speak about and what are the kind of audiences you address and is it all in the us or all over, all across the world i am hired to come in and speak in arenas or convention centers for big conventions uh, corporate meetings uh, universities and i speak about success i speak about uh, productivity i speak about uh, following your dreams and uh, bringing them to reality and i i speak about a lot of the same things that are in my books and so um yes it is a i mean when i first started i I I spoke to little audiences and now 
I do a lot of arena events where there's 12,000 or 15,000 people there. And it is, uh, it is quite different. Of course, when the pandemic came, uh, a lot of that transitioned to Zoom and in conversations much like you and I are having now, and they hook up thousands of people. And just now we're just getting back out and uh, speaking to larger groups of people again. To support our work with the blind and visually impaired, you can visit the donate page on our website www.scorefoundation.org.in. Please note www.scorefoundation.org.in. You also uh, are involved with uh, investment. You are an investment broker. Uh, you run a company. Uh, how do you find the time? What exactly does this company do? How large is the operation? And uh, I would also like to ask, how do you find the time? Well, I, I started one of my first business ventures. I was a, a member of the New York Stock Exchange. So we sold stocks, bonds, options, commodities, and all different investments. Then as my career transitioned, I became more of a financial planner where I don't do the transactions anymore. I just work with families that want to build their wealth, and we come up with financial plans and concepts for that. I've written several books on that, and so it's more now I'm more of an advisor. And when I started, I actually did the transactions. We would sell your stock or buy your bonds or whatever that was, and now I'm more an advisor for that. And the way I find the time is uh, I have a great staff and a great group of people. And uh, so I stay focused on the things I can do and they do everything else. Yeah. Uh, finally, I'd like to ask you, uh, I was reading that uh, you were honored uh, with the International Humanitarian of the Year. When did this happen? I believe you shared this platform with people like Mother Teresa, Nancy Reagan, and Jimmy Carter. Yes, I... You know, George, I am a big believer that uh, we make a living based on what we receive and we make a life based on what we give. So I have always uh, felt I have been very blessed and many people have helped me. So uh, I have a scholarship. We've sent a little over 500 kids to college. Uh, I started the Stovall Center for Entrepreneurship at a university here, and we have students from around the world that come and learn how to start their own businesses and go back to their home countries to do that. We have 126 nations now on campus, and we do a lot of work with um, famine and trying to feed hungry people and and just make a difference for people. And because of that, the International Lions Clubs recognized me as the international humanitarian and very humbling to join people like Jimmy Carter, Nancy Reagan, and of course, Mother Teresa. And, uh, but I just, uh, you know, I believe uh, uh, we get out of life what we give to others and making a difference for others. And, and that's always been a good thing for me. Uh, even my company, Narrative Television, we're very profitable. We make a good living doing what we do, but we also help blind people access television and movies and educational programming. So it's something 
we, we feel like we're doing well as we do good work. And that's important to us. Well, Jim, uh, uh, you are a busy man. And uh, I would like to thank you for uh, agreeing to speak to us and uh, be part of our podcast. Uh, wish you the very best and uh, uh, hope to stay in touch. Well, George, I appreciate it. I, with all of my books and things I do, I do a lot of interviews on radio and various platforms. And I have to tell you, you are about as good an interviewer as I've run across in a long time. And it was a privilege to be with you and your audience. Thank you. This podcast was brought to you by Sipla Foundation and Score Foundation. Roshani ka karba